you know, I don't need to go to church. I'm good. God knows my heart. He knows I love Jesus. I'm good. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Mom. See, those were just snippets of of my conversations or arguments with my mom when she would tell me I need to go to church. And if my mom was nothing else, she was persistent because that went on for almost 20 years of my mom continually telling me I need to be at church and me continually offering the same argument. I don't need to go to church. Why do I need the church? Honestly, I don't know if she gave me a compelling reason or even if she did, if I could have heard it, but I never heard a compelling reason as to why I should go to church. So I didn't. Well, obviously some things have changed, right? I'm, I'm a pastor now and at a church and, and I'm here today delivering a message on the fact that you should choose church. Like, tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. So what's changed? Well, a lot has changed. God has so been so gracious with me in revealing the places where I may have been wrong. Okay, where I was wrong. Maybe mistaken. I don't like the word wrong. Where I was mistaken. God has been so patient and gracious with me by teaching me and instructing me and actually bringing me into a community of people that I didn't think I needed. And he has, and they have, so graciously walked alongside of me, labored alongside of me, so that I could know that this is exactly what I was created for, was to be a part of a church, to be a part of the body of Christ. That I did need the church, and I do need the church. And that I was wrong. But I I don't believe I was wrong in, in saying that I really didn't hear a compelling answer. And so I could just say, I don't need the church, and I really don't believe anyone ever gave me a really compelling reason why I needed the church then. And so today my task is to try and and, and give you a compelling reason as to why you should choose church. Now I know that seems kind of strange because here you are online choosing church. (laughs) So maybe I'm kind of like preaching to the choir. But I think it's good for us because maybe you're encountering people in your life. Maybe you've got a son or maybe you've got a daughter or a husband or a wife or or a friend who you've been trying to get into church for years. And the best thing you can come up with is that you need to go to church. And I'd really like to, to tell you to resist that urge. At least resist the urge to just say you need to go to church. And, and to help provide you a compelling reason, a, a way that you could help that friend, that family member Choose church. And maybe it's a way for you to better understand and fully comprehend why we choose church, not just every once in a while, but we should choose church all the time. And so as I begin that task, I really need prayer. So pray with me. Father, thank you for this this day and this opportunity to um, speak from your word. This is so strange. Father, I thank you for your love for me which isn't strange, but just absolutely beautiful. I thank you for your love for the church, your love for your creation. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Well, you know, this is the fifth habit in this series where we've been looking at the habits of Jesus in an effort to try and really grow deeper in in a deeper relationship with God. This is about developing a deeper relationship with God. And we see in Jesus's life that Jesus chose church. And for Christians, I think, as I said a couple of weeks ago, really, that should be the only reason we need, right? Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, chose community, chose studying scripture. He chose prayer. He chose solitude. And now we see Jesus chooses church. And what other reason or what other compelling reason do we need than Jesus chose church? If Jesus chose church, shouldn't we choose church? In fact, we see that in in Matthew's gospel. We see Jesus choosing church, and we see it in Luke's gospel. And, And we see that each day Jesus was in the temple, teaching in the temple. When he was in Jerusalem, he was teaching in the temple. The temple is kind of like the megachurch of Jesus' day. It's where everybody gathered when they came to Jerusalem. Now, in the outer areas, there were things called synagogues. They were like smaller temples, little churches. And Jesus taught there. And he did so to instruct his disciples. And we know that because we see his disciples instructing us to choose church. So his disciples took his words seriously, and we thank God that they did. And so today we're looking at Jesus' words to choose church. In fact, there's a story in in the Gospels where where Jesus was separated from his mother and father, and they were looking for him. They thought he was lost, and they went back into Jerusalem looking for him. And and where do you think they found him? In the temple at age 12, right? And they're like, well, we've been looking all over for you. And he's like, well, where did you think I would be but in my father's house? See, Jesus chose church. The very Son of God, God incarnate, chose to be in his Father's house, to be with his Father's people. And he calls us to do the same. And the writer of Hebrews takes those words seriously, takes Jesus' actions seriously, and in today's text, I believe, gives us some three compelling reasons why we should choose church. Not just the fact that we shouldn't give up meeting, but why we shouldn't give up meeting together. And he does that by making three cases. I believe there are three statements that Jesus gives us or that the writer of Hebrews gives us. Well, it's Jesus through the writer of Hebrews, right? Because he's the word. Three let us statements. The first one is let us well richly with God. Let us hold fast to hope. And the third, let us consider each other. Three compelling reasons why we should choose church. And he begins this way. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters. And whenever you hear therefore, you have to ask the question, what's therefore, therefore? And the therefore in this case is because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus made a sacrifice for sins that no one else could make. Because he has made a way, because of his work, He says, because everything that Jesus did, since we now have confidence because of what Jesus did to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is he talking about? What does he mean about a curtain and and all of this? Well, the writer of Hebrews kind of 
brings into picture and focus a scene that happened in the death of Jesus, in the Gospels of Jesus. We read at the death of Jesus, something happened in the temple. In the temple in Jesus' day, in the second temple period, there was this huge, massive curtain that hung in the temple. And it separated one area of the temple from what is called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, God's presence was said to reside. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant and articles within that and, and the staff of Aaron and the, and the tablets of the law and, and manna from the desert. And God's presence existed there. And it was once a year that the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and only once a year on a specific day to make a sacrifice for the entire nation. It was the Day of Atonement. And no one dared step foot in the Holy of Holies except the high priest and except on the Day of Atonement. And now at Jesus' death, we read these words as, in, as told us in Matthew. And at the very moment, meaning the very moment Jesus breathed his last breath, the curtain of the temple, that very curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, here's the significance of that. Because of Jesus' death, his blood covering the sins of the world, the sacrifice that made atonement for everyone, the need for sacrifice is no longer necessary. And that is represented by this temple curtain tearing from top to bottom and symbolizing, as the writer says, that now we, not just the high priest, not just the other priest, but all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, have now access to the Holy of Holies. We now have access to God himself through the blood of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now the writer of Hebrews brings this all together and says, because of what Jesus does, since we have this high priest, there's now a way to God that wasn't afforded us before. See, there was this thing called sin that stood in the way. This curtain represents sin, and now Jesus separates the sin and makes a way for you and I to have access to God, to actually have a relationship with God, to actually do something that we were kept from doing before. This is a new way. The writer of Hebrews is saying, because of what Jesus has said, we now get to come to God. Before we were kept from that, we had to go through this holy man, we had to go through all these steps, but now because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to do all this, we get to go straight to God. And, and he's, he's compelling us to remember that now, because of what Jesus has done, we have a relationship with God. And we can do that without guilt, without shame, because that was placed and punished in Jesus. And now, choosing churches is something that we have to do. Choosing church is something we get to do. We get to come to church, to, to be the church. Remember, church isn't a building, but a people. We get to be the church where God resides. We're told he resides still with his people in his spirit in us. And we're told the spirit resides amongst his people in his church. And we gather together on the weekend to be with God and to be with his body, to be with the bride of Christ. It's like 
Jesus said, well, where else would you think I would be than in my father's house as a Christian? You have to say, where else would we be on, on a Sunday, on, 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 a, on a worship day? Where else would we be than, than with the body of Christ, than, than, than in his house, with his people? Where else would we be? So let us remember everything that God has done. What God has now made available to us is a relationship with God himself, and that was all accomplished through Jesus. That is who God is. That is how faithful God is. That he would do what he promised long ago is to make a way to mend this relationship so that we, you and I today in 2021, can have a relationship with God that people long ago desired to have, but now we have afforded to us. Let us not take that for granted. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us, then next, let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, all those years ago, I wasn't putting my hope in Jesus. I thought I knew who God was. He definitely knew who I was, but I had no clue who he was. All I was doing was really putting my faith in myself, in my good works. You know, I would, I would say, well, I didn't do anything really bad. I mean, I didn't commit any of the big sins, right? I didn't murder anybody. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't, you know, well, I didn't kill anybody, right? As long as I stay away from the good things, I thought myself to be a good person. I wasn't putting my hope in Jesus. I was putting my hope in myself and, and believing myself good enough to be okay. And, and while I tr was not really trusting in him, but trusting in myself, Jesus is good enough. What Jesus has done is enough. But I wasn't trusting in that. I was trusting only in myself. And here, the writer of Hebrews says, Let's, let us not forget the hope we confess. And that hope isn't in ourselves. No, that hope, once again, is in what Jesus has done. It's what he's accomplished. It's what he's afforded for me. And that's the hope that we confess. It's because of what Jesus has done that I have a right relationship with God. And the reason that's so important and the reason why that has to do with church is because it's in the church where that message is preached. That, church, that message isn't preached anywhere else in our culture, but in the church and through the church. It's the message God has given to his church and to his people to share with the world and to remind one another because we live in this world that preaches a message other than that. And we need to be reminded, which is why we choose church, because we are forgetful. I mean, not going to church didn't happen all of a sudden for me, and it was something that just happened gradually, and then eventually I just got out of the habit of going to church. And what do you think I was influenced by? by? By everything else that was being said, that you're good enough, you try hard enough, you work hard enough, you get enough money in your bank account, you do all these things, you can put your hope in all these things. But we know that doesn't work, because all of these things can be taken away just in the blink of an eye. Our hope truly only rests in Jesus. And the church is where that is preached and where that is proclaimed. And I so desperately need to be reminded because that younger man still lives in here. And I am prone to trust in myself. And so I need the church to remind me who I am. I need the church to teach me who God is and to remind me who I am. Because I'm forgetful. But then the writer of Hebrews goes on to give us a third reason, a reason I never, ever considered. And he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, let us consider 
one another. I can tell you, I never considered anybody else but myself. I didn't consider my family. I didn't consider anybody else's feelings but my own. My own comfort, my own convenience, that's the only thing I had in my mind. I believe the church had nothing to offer me. I, I know I didn't really have anything to offer the church, and they had nothing to offer me because the problems I had, I saw with the people and sometimes greater in the church. I was looking for bigger answers. And I thought they were out there somewhere, especially as it came to actually doing life. But what God so patiently has revealed to me, and really he did that through his people. Because I look back to who I was when I started coming to this church. I was naive and, and prideful and just go down the list. I don't really like to go down the list, but I could go down the list. Arrogant, thinking I didn't need the church. I didn't want to really come to the church. But yet God in his patience and the people of God in their patience and their understanding walked alongside of me and, and, and labored with me and, and kept reminding me who God is and kept teaching me who he is so that I could understand who I am. As, and I'm still working through that, but it's through his people that they've come to build me up and to allow me to see that I actually have something to offer the, to the church, that God has a plan for my life. And I would have never seen that had it not been for the church. Because I believe it's in the church where you discover your purpose. I believe it's as you walk with the people of God, with God, that you discover the purpose for which you were created. And it was something more than just for yourself. It was for the sake of others. That the church is there to actually walk alongside you, but you are in the church to actually walk alongside others. That we are called to build one another up in love. To encourage one another up in love. To do the unnatural thing of actually caring for others ahead of ourselves. And to, and to do that, we need the encouragement of others. We need the love of God and a true understanding of who he is to, to actually get to a place where we do that, not because we have to, but because we want to. And that all is accomplished through his church. We see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus chose church. He chose to reveal his God, our God, the true nature of his Father. He chose to help us see who we are. And he gives us the church. The church isn't a burden, but it's a gift for us to discover the true purpose of our life. And that God has plans for our life, and it involves helping others and also preaching him to the world that doesn't know him. We see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus didn't consider himself something that needed to be satisfied. He didn't look after his own well-being. He looked after the well-being of others, and he calls us to do the same thing. Jesus did the most difficult things. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to become one of us, did he? No, he didn't have to do any of it, but he chose to do that. Why? Because he loves us. It wasn't the easiest thing to do. It was the most difficult thing to do, to come and to become one of us and to be mocked by us and, and to be a small baby and to have his diaper changed and to be spit on and talked about and eventually murdered. That was definitely the most difficult thing. But he did that for you and I. And then he turns around and tells his disciples, you too must do the most difficult thing. And that is to consider others ahead of yourself.
And he calls you and I to do the same thing. To do the Jesus thing, the most difficult thing. You know, I was reading a book recently by Miroslav Volf called Against the Tide. And in it, he tells a story about uh, a, a man named Jordi de Gide. And, and he was a farmer who raised pigs and he, he farmed. He was just a simple man. And he went there, he was introduced to him, and he was having a conversation. And in the midst of this conversation, it turned to a spiritual matter. And he was kind of surprised that this simple farmer had such a deep understanding of God. And, and what happened was the farmer, Dejeda, said, always choose the more difficult path. And another neighbor was there and he says, what do you mean? I should always choose a dull shovel over a sharp shovel to dig a hole? And he goes, no, that's not what I meant. He said, here's what he meant. He said, it's easier for us to be served than to serve and to take than to give. Serving is the harder path. Giving is the harder path. Because we are selfish, the path of love is always more difficult. He's already nailed the human condition. We will always choose the easier path when left to ourselves. But with the love of God, the power of God, with the church of God, we can be encouraged, we can actually be led, and we can actually choose the most difficult path, the harder path. You know, some of you this morning are doing the most difficult thing. You're actually watching online. You know, some of you, because of physical distance or physical ailments or limits, on your life or maybe just because you're doing the safe thing or are attending online this weekend. And for you, that's the most difficult thing because you desire to be in person. You so desire to be back in church. So you're doing the most difficult thing and that's attending online. But some of you this morning are, are, are doing what might be the most convenient thing and not the most difficult thing. And it didn't happen all at once. Some of you have been attending online for so long that it's become a habit, right? It's become the most convenient thing. I mean, what better than to wake up a little bit later and, and not to have to put on clothes and to have a cup of coffee and to open up the laptop and, and, to, and to watch service and, and maybe flip the laptop down if you don't like the message or if you don't like the series. And, or maybe you tune into a different church and, and, and see what they have. But you're doing what's convenient but not what's most difficult because in areas of your life where you're going to the grocery store, you're going to football games, baseball games, hockey games, you're going to dance recitals, you're going out to restaurants, you're doing all the things, almost the things that you used to do before, except you're not coming back in person. And so are you doing the most convenient thing or are you doing the most difficult thing? My challenge to you this week is to think and reflect and ask yourself this question. Am I, am I attending online because I'm doing the most convenient thing? Or could I attend in person and do the Jesus thing? Could I do the more difficult thing? And here's, here's, my, here's my encouragement to you. To do the Jesus thing is always the thing that we're called to do. To be in person is what we were created to do. We don't go to church, we are the church. And so a way we're called to be who we were created to be, and that's the church. The church gathering together, not getting out of the habit of meeting together in person, what we were created to be. Gathered around God's word, his sacraments, with other believers, in person, 
experiencing Jesus and encouraging one another with love. I want to encourage you to choose church, to choose the Jesus way.